0: Now, this is the third part, uh, which is the ending of the series that we've been in called Judgment Call. And if you haven't been here for the past two weeks, let me cut you up really quick. There's a label that floats around Christians all the time, and it's called being judgmental. And probably you've heard that. Now, there's two different seats that, that usually happen in regards to judgment. The first seat is the person who's judging another person. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a place where you've needed to judge or felt like you've needed to judge someone else because you saw them doing something wrong. Now, the other seat of that is someone who's being judged. And the reason why Christians get labeled as judgmental is because so many of us, if not all of us, have at least at one time in our lives sat in the seat of judgment, meaning someone else was judging us for something they thought that we were doing wrong. Now, the most interesting thing about sitting in a seat where someone else is judging you is that seldom do you ever get to tell your whole story, right? I mean, you walk into the situation and somebody makes a judgment call on you, uh, you know, like, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, and I can't believe you'd be doing that, and look at all the stuff that you say and how you try to act, and, and you feel that judgment, but you never really get to tell your story. Well, well, wait a minute. Before you make a judgment, you need to know my whole story because if you knew the story then you'd understand why I'm doing this. Like, like I know that, that it, it seems just kind of weird, me walking out of this crazy movie, but, but you know, I, I did this for a specific reason, or, or I know I'm in this lifestyle, but you don't understand the pain that I've experienced that kind of led me to this place. And and so, so don't judge me unless you know the story, but you never really get to hear the story. Seldom do we ever get to hear the story, or if you're in the judgment seat, do you get to tell your story to somebody else? In fact, what eventually just ends up happening is that people are just judging others all the time. And as Christians, we struggle with this like the most because we have the Ten Commandments and we have the Bible. We have all these verses that talk about what we're not supposed to do. And so when we see other people acting out of line, it really bothers us. And that's not all a bad thing, okay? Sin should bother us, but the Bible has set out clear objectives, clear actions that every Christian should take before they start judging another person. And the first thing that we established, and if you got your handout, you want to write this down, the first thing that we learned, and what the Bible teaches about judging another person, is that the first thing that we should do is look in the what? Mirror. Okay? We need to look in the mirror. According to Matthew chapter 7, we are never to judge someone else with the idea that judgment is a what? One-way street. Okay? Because judgment is a two-way street. We're never to judge thinking that it's a one-way street. However you judge somebody else will never come back to you. Because what Scripture teaches is that the measure that you judge someone else, by that same measure, it's going to be measured back to you. So if you judge somebody, if you condemn somebody, if you talk to somebody, get involved in somebody's life, and, and try to mess in their business and think that, that what you're doing isn't going to come back to you the same way, then you're wrong. Because it's, judgment is always a two-way street. The second thing that we established the first time is that the first action a Christian should take in judging another person in Christ is for the sake of restoring him or her. Okay? It, that's the first action that we should take. We, we need to restore that other person. If we don't, try to restore that other person, if we don't try to bring them back into the fold, then we've missed the entire point of judgment. Now, now this is what happens all the time. Some of us know, many, many people that aren't in church this morning, because they feel that if they showed up, they would be judged. And the reason is, is because they've probably experienced Christians who've judged them and missed the entire point. The entire point of judgment was for the sake of restoring them, Okay. I'm telling you that you're doing something wrong because I want you to be in a great relationship with Jesus Christ. I want the best for you. But what they've experienced is, I'm judging you because I'm jealous. I'm judging you because I think I'm right. I'm judging you, and at the same time, I'm a hypocrite. And see, the whole problem with that is that when we when we judge someone, we should always do it with the motivation to restore him or her. Okay. This is an A. It's only when we look in the mirror that we understand why we really want to become involved in the life of someone else in the first place. And that's what we talked about. We said, if you don't look in the mirror first, if you don't really question why you have this, this pain that wants to judge somebody else, if you never do that, then, then you're missing out. You're, you, you don't really understand why. And we said that there's many motivations that we judge somebody else, and not all of them are good sometimes we judge somebody else because we're jealous, and we just want them to stop doing what they're doing because maybe if they stop, then then we'll get the attention that we want, and everybody won't look at them. There's there's a thousand different motivations, but we got to look in the mirror before we under, really understand why that is. Okay, and the second thing here as we move into the second week is that we realize that Christians don't have the permission to judge outsiders. They don't have the permission to judge outsiders. Now, that was kind of a paradigm-shifting thing because to some extent, you know, Christians, right, in culture, they judge everybody, right? They judge the sinners. They judge those that are in the church. I mean, if you were to ask a non-Christian, are Christians judgmental? And if they are, who do they judge? They're saying, well, I don't like Christians because they judge everybody. But but the clear teaching from Scripture is that we don't have any business judging somebody who's outside the faith. And the reason why we don't is because we don't have any common ground with that individual. Here's what we said. What if you went into a grocery store and did something that offended like 18 different Islamic laws, and this radical Muslim came up and like yelled at you for like 20 minutes for breaking all these laws? You would be like, man, you're crazy. You don't have any business judging me. Why? Because I'm not a Muslim. I didn't agree to follow the same path that you're following. You have no business judging judging me. And this is what we find in the New Testament. We find Jesus doing the exact same thing. He doesn't judge people that are outside. He, in regards of, he doesn't go and like beat them up. Okay. When you find Jesus upset and angry and pointing out wrongs, he's doing it to who? The church people. He's doing it to the Pharisees. He's doing it to the entire Sanhedrin and those who claim to know God. Why? Because Jesus knows that, 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 the sinners, the people, the Zacchaeuses, the, the tax collectors, the Gentiles, the people that don't know God, okay? The gospel is said for the sake of just bringing them in, okay? So so it's they're the ones that are blinded. They don't know. They don't know God yet. So there's no point in just judging, 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 because they're just out there doing their thing, and they never signed up. But what happens is, is what you see in Scripture is Jesus, like, really taking it to the church people. Why? Because the church people are claiming to know God. And as Christians, we don't have permission to judge those outside the faith. What we're supposed to do is correct in a loving way the people that are inside. Okay? And this is huge because our culture doesn't do this. Where you see all the signs is where? You see them at concerts where, you know, you're going to hell or... God hates gays and all these things, and you see all these signs, you see all these rants and ravings. And see, seldom do you ever see that happen in the church. And the problem is, is that in the church is sometimes where you have all these issues. Like, there's people in the church that claim to be Christians, but they're doing this on Friday night, or they're hanging out with this person, or they're sleeping around. And And, and what happens is the church members don't judge the people that are in the church, but they're really quick to judge the people that are outside. But this is what we learn. There are two groups of people that are judged, Christians and non-Christians, and Christians do not have the right to pass judgment on people outside the faith. That is God's territory. Okay? It's God's territory. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this. You know, listen. The people who are outside the faith, God will judge them. Okay? It's our obligation. It's our responsibility to judge people that are inside the faith. Because when you sign up to follow Jesus, that's when you become accountable to other believers. If you're out there just doing your own thing, you're really not accountable. You're accountable to God because God's the one who judges these people. But you're not accountable to other believers because it, it just doesn't make sense to go around judging somebody on a ground that they never agreed to like walk on. It just makes sense. Now, this week, as we finish this up, we're going to go through just what Jesus says about actually how to do this. Okay, so we, we've established these two things. The first thing is, before you judge anybody else, take a look in the mirror. Ask yourself this question, why does that make me so mad? When I see this person doing that, why does it bother me? And what we find in the mirror is the motivations and the real passion. If the motivation's wrong, then the judgment's wrong. Period. If the motivation for judging someone else isn't for the sake of restoring that person in a great relationship, in a good relationship with Jesus Christ, then don't even talk to them. Don't, you know, because the jealousy, the anger, the frustration, that's your deal. Take it to God and say, God, okay, I want to judge this person, but the real issue has to do with me. It doesn't have to do with them. So, okay, let's say you've reached that place and you said, Lord, I don't have any bad intentions. This person is really doing something wrong and I don't want them to do this because I see how destructive it is to their life and, and how destructive it is to others and our friendship. I truly have the right motivations. The second thing you need to decide is what, what group are they in? Are they a non-Christian or are they a Christian? Did they sign up to be accountable to other believers or didn't they? And let's say you decided, well, okay, you know, Jordan, they're... they're They're not outside. No, they've they've been going to, you know, uh, the church for a long time, and and they claim to be a Christian, and I hear them talk a lot about about godly living and things like that. They're not outside. Okay, so you, you keep moving in this. So the last thing is, how do I do this the right way? How in the world do I see somebody going around doing something wrong that is a Christian? How do I lovingly correct them? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we'll just explore these really quick before we get to talk to Elise. And what we find in Matthew chapter 18 is Jesus' guidelines about how we're supposed to judge another person. Now, this is why this is so important, okay? If Christians got this right, if Christians learned how to judge the right way, we wouldn't be called judgmental. We really wouldn't. I don't believe that. I believe that if Christians got this right, they wouldn't be called judgmental. In fact, we'd be a whole lot more liked if we would get this right. Because when you get this right, what you communicate to other people and to the world is that you love them enough to make sure that they don't do things that are hurting themselves. You see, I mean, a lot of people think their parents are judgmental, but the older we get, we look back and we think, you know, those rules, they kinda had a purpose and and when they said that I was selfish, uh, I really was. And, and and see, we seldom do we look back on those situations and we think, you know what? They just they just wanted to hurt me. No, you see that your parents they loved you. And I know that's not every situation, but but we're all longing for somebody to guide us and help us along the way. I said the first week that if you were like on a golf course and you were like you know just trying to do your swing and everything and Tiger Woods walked up to you and said, hey, man, I mean, you can keep doing what you're doing, but I want you to know that you're totally just, your forearm is just too far out, and it just looks it looks horrible, bro. And if you keep doing that, you, it's just going to be horrible, and you're, you're never going to be a good golfer. Would you look back at Tiger Woods and be like, Tiger, you don't even know what you're talking about, bro. Shut up. Get off the course. No. The reason why you wouldn't do that, right, is because you know that he doesn't have any hidden agenda in telling you and correcting you. There's nothing inside of him that, that you know, really frustrates you, um, should frustrate you because of, of what you're doing. He knows what he's talking about, and he's just trying to help you. That's all he's trying to do. And we all long for that. So if Christians were to get this right, I think that that the world in general, and especially people inside and outside the church, would love us a whole lot more. Now, as we turn to Matthew chapter 18, what we find here is we find... And I want you to take it up at uh, verse 12. What we find here is Jesus giving us guidelines, guidelines in order to judge somebody. So whenever you get to a place where you need to deal with somebody's sin, whenever somebody is doing something destructive to themselves and others, you've established where they are in the whole you know, outsider-insider continuum, and you're ready to walk forward. How do you do this? Now, I told you to start at verse 12, which is interesting, because if you're looking at that, you're thinking, Jordan, this has to do with the lost sheep. Like, what in the world does this have to do? What does a parable have to do with judging? Okay, a lot of people just skip to where Jesus starts talking about this. And they say, well, we followed Matthew chapter 18. And we started at verse 15. Because that's where the judgment stuff is, right? Well, see, you can't read verses 15 and on, which deal with Jesus telling us how to judge another person, if you miss the context of which he shares this message. The context of what Jesus tells us to do when we're supposed to judge another brother, another sister, someone who's inside the faith, who's committed a wrong, the context of that is in a parable about a lost sheep. What Jesus says is, what do you think? If you had someone, if you had a sheep, okay, and you lost it, and even though you had nine, I'm paraphrasing here, so you're like, Why did i not reading more for it. Um, if you had a sheep, Okay, and you lost one, even though you had 99, wouldn't you go out and find it? Now, this makes sense to the people that are hearing that. Of course. Because when you lose something, okay, it, it it's important to find it, and it, you really don't gain any consolation in knowing that you have other stuff. For instance, if you lose your car keys, you're not going to find any comfort in someone coming up to you and saying, well, you still have your car. Or if, <laughs> if you lose like an iPod, or you lose, you know, let's say you lose a wallet or something. You're not going to find any consolation in somebody saying to you, well, at least you still have your laptop. At least you still have your headphones. No, you'd be like, I, I mean, yes, that's true. I still have a car. I still have all these other things. But I need to find the thing that I lost. And what Jesus is trying to say here is is this, this whole judgment thing, before I launch into that, I need to provide some framework for this. What Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 is that this whole thing deals with lostness. The whole judging issue, Christian telling another Christian, hey, you need to stop doing that. That's all for the sake of finding a lost sheep. In essence, the person that is involved in this destructive behavior, they're like a lost sheep. You don't get angry at a lost sheep. You don't get frustrated. You don't punish. A shepherd doesn't find a lost sheep and just beat it, and then decide to take it back. No, the shepherd puts it in his arms and takes it back to where it needs to be. Okay, so what Jesus is saying here is this is a loving issue. A Christian judging another person should never be an anger issue, should never be a judging, um, condemning, jealous issue. Judging another Christian should be a loving issue. You want them to be in a healthy relationship with God and others. So before I tell you how to do this, I want you to understand that a person who is lost is lost. And not only you, but your Father in heaven desperately wants them to be back into the fold. And that's interesting because now that we talk about lostness, that gives us a totally different lens of which to view what Jesus says. Let's look at 15. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, this is says if, it doesn't say when, because he may not listen to you, he or she may not listen to you, you have won your brother. Notice that it doesn't say send a message to your friend, who will then send another message to their friend, who will finally send the message to the person who is involved in destructive behavior and sinful behavior. Notice it doesn't say that. Notice it doesn't say, tell all your friends and have your friends hopefully awkwardly communicate that in a situation when you're all together. It doesn't say that at all. What it says is, go to that person in private. Okay, That doesn't mean that you're, you're all hanging out, like watching a movie or something, and like right in the, the previews you say, by the way, stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Like, no, that's not how that works. You take them in private. And you say, listen, I don't, you know, this is not a group issue right now. I just want to tell you, face to face, okay? Notice, he doesn't say write a message. They didn't have email, but they did have messages, okay? Email is not the great way to go about this, okay? Face to face. Walk up to them and say, hey, can I talk with you just over dinner, over lunch? Can we do this privately? I've got something that bothers me. I need to tell you about that. Jesus says, if they listen done. You've won. Okay. It's a good thing when they decide that they'd rather, you know, correct and be back into fold. Okay. Let's take verse 16. And if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So by the mouth, two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And this is, this is something that's interesting here. Okay. He says, if you going to them privately doesn't work, You need to take two or more people with you. And the reason why this is is that, okay, if you can't find something that's lost, you usually get other people involved, right, because it becomes a more important issue. When you realize you can't find the car keys by yourself, you're going to get your friends, you're going to get your parents, you're going to get your siblings involved in this whole search issue. Why? Because it's a big deal when you've lost a sheep. Okay? When you've lost something very important, when somebody's out there doing some bad behavior that's sinful and it's really destructive and it doesn't become solved privately, okay, you get other people involved. You do whatever you can. You say this, Hey, I mean, it didn't work privately, but I've got to get some other friends. Okay, The other reason why this is so important is because once a person pushes back the first time you talk to them, once a person, you know, says, I don't want to do this, you want to get other people involved so that other people know what are going, what's going on in these meetings, okay? If you continue to meet with a belligerent person one-on-one, no one has a record of what's being said, and what happens is that the, the two people go back and say, da-da-da-da-da, he said this, and she said that. What you want is when two or more people get together, okay, they get to know what's going on. Other people get to know that this is becoming a bigger, bigger issue. All right, let's take it. Verse 17. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Whoa! Tell it to the church. Like Tony's going to get up and be like, by the way, miss, is uh, she just got divorced. But before she was divorced, she's been living with a man. And he's in the third row. Everybody stare. Like. Whoa! I mean, is that what that means? Like, there, there's actually a, a, a lady. I, I was uh, read this in a story that I found online. There's actually a lady um, that is seriously like she's you know been hanging out with her boyfriend and thing, and and that she moved into a, a different relationship. It's pretty sinful. Pretty you know you shouldn't be doing that. She claims she's a Christian, and and everybody the church has actually claimed to follow this. Okay. So they've told that lady that since you're not stopping, we're broadcasting this to the world. Like, we're broadcasting this to our church. And the lady's, like, furious. She's like, I've done left the church. Like, what in the world's going on? Okay, so so what does this really mean when it says tell it to the church? Okay, we here at Silverdale have anywhere from, like, 2,500 to, like, 3,000 people, depending on which day you come or Easter and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, there's tons and thousands of people come here. Does it really mean that Tony's like supposed to put it on screen? I think it'd be awesome at the very end where he'd be like, "And these are the new members that we've had that signed up, and here are the members that are living in sin. We've listed their sin under each of their names." We'll be praying for it. No, no, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. you need to understand, understand the New Testament, okay, the New Testament concept of church. Okay? Church was not some big institution which included insiders and outsiders. Church was simply a group of people that decided to follow Jesus. So so what he's saying here is when he says tell it to the church, okay, he's talking about a group of believers that are gathering together, more than two or three, okay, they're they're a bigger group, but these are all believers, okay? Because you don't become a member of the church in those days unless you really signed up and said, I'm going to follow Christ. Now at Silverdale, there are many people that come to our church. Some are believers and some aren't, okay. But here we go again. When non-believers get involved in the issue, okay, it no longer becomes a church, group, family believer thing. It becomes a much larger thing than that. What Jesus is saying here is that once you've moved past two or three people, you need to share it with more people. But these people again need to make sure that they're inside, okay? They're all a family here. Share it with the group of believers that you have. That's the church. It doesn't translate today because churches are made up of a lot of different people. Okay, we meet in a big auditorium. In those days, they met at little house churches. So when Jesus is saying this, okay, when he's talking about these believers, he's, he is now talking about what would later become little home churches. So when the early Christians read this and, and learned about this, they said, okay, we need to share it with everybody in the house, We need to have a family meeting, right? If brother and sister can't work it out, let's involve dad. If brother and sister and dad don't work it out, let's get everybody in the family and let's sit them down and let's talk about this. Now, let's keep moving here. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Ah, so Jesus is saying, like, if it doesn't listen, treat him like a pagan. So, I mean, isn't that harsh? Like, well, it depends on how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. How did Jesus treat people that were outside the faith? He treated them with love. He treated them with respect. He didn't condemn them. He didn't force these truths upon them. He loved them because he realized that that once they left the inside believing group and became an outsider, we're supposed to treat them very differently, aren't we? Now, because that person has moved from, I'm a believer, I've signed up, I'm accountable, since they've moved into another group that says, I'm denying everything I was a part of. Now, you have to, as a Christian, treat them a little differently. You love them, you care for them, you pray for them, but remember, once a Christian becomes an outsider, once they have decided to walk in a lifestyle that's very contradictory, and you've gone through all these steps and they still haven't listened, you don't have the right to have these conversations and start judging them anymore because they've moved into a different group. Okay, They've moved to a different group. And what did we say the second week? Christians don't have permission to judge outsiders. So once they've moved out of the family and once they've you know started doing their own thing and they've embraced a lifestyle you just have to love them and pray for them because they're not listening and once you do that what we said the first week is once you do that you release people to go full on in their lifestyle which eventually will break down and then maybe just maybe if you've loved them in their lostness when they hit rock bottom they might decide to come back to you this is the last thing I want you to write down. Christians have a necessary responsibility to judge and correct other Christians for the purpose of restoring them towards Jesus Christ. Number one, without the biblical corrective involvement. Okay, corrective. That's, that's the blank there. Without the biblical corrective involvement of other Christians in our lives, we struggle alone in our pursuit of becoming like Jesus. So so that's the whole point, right? That that we have a responsibility to do it. Why? Because Jesus said that that if you lose a sheep, you don't just get happy because you got 99. Like if someone in your family, if someone that has gone to your Bible study, that has signed up, that said I'm following Jesus, if somebody is lost, if somebody has decided to do something else, you don't just celebrate what you have. You go and find them. My question this morning is, what would you do to reach somebody? What would you do? What would it take if you knew somebody around you was, was associated in bad behavior? But along all these things, they were trying to live like a Christian, but yet you knew their life wasn't that way. And you knew they were a lost sheep. Okay, They were part of the fold, but... but you still need to go and get them. What would you do? What would you do? Would you would you talk to them privately about it? Would you have the nerve to say, hey, this is really bothering me. I have good motivations. I just love you. I just think this is just a bad idea for you. Would you take two or more friends, if that doesn't work, and say, hey, not just me, but these other friends of yours. We're all friends together, and we want to help you through this. Or would you say, listen, We've got all the people that love you here in our community that we have together. We want to help you. Please stop doing this. If you don't stop, if you don't stop, then we're going to have to hold you accountable. Because we can't have people that say they're a part of this and live like they don't because what happens when that happens is that the people outside, they don't call us judgmental, they call us hypocrites. So We've got we've got to do something with this, and we love you. But if you don't want to be found, then we're gonna have to let you go. Let me tell you just a very short story. There was a young man who I was a roommate with um, when I lived in Athens, and so um, you know they they had that whole thing, you know. It was just, we lived in the same room, basically, even though we had like a house. He was my roommate, and he lived in the same room, and and so we had to consolidate. Totally, I didn't have a lot of stuff. I mean, it was, we were kind of small, we were cramped in there, and I remember that this thing had started with my roommate when I, before I moved in, but especially by the time I moved in, like, it had already, like, it had been an issue, and it just kind of worked itself out. No one was talking about it anymore. And here was the issue. My roommate, okay, brought his girlfriend over to our house, and they would sleep together, okay, in his bed most every night. Now, I knew my friend. I mean, this guy was a licensed minister. Like, he, for sure, he knew Scripture, and he knew, you know, what was up, and, 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 him and his girlfriend did have, you know. I, here's my rationalization: they did have a very interesting relationship, and I never got this weird feeling like they were making out or, you know. But it, of course, right? It was awkward. Like, all right. Like, I'm crawl. We had bunk beds, and it was weird. Like, like ten, and that's strange. Like, like so. I'm crawling. I'm crawling up to go to sleep every night. You know, just just chilling, and him and his girlfriend are asleep. Below me, and here's 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 the problem. Here's here's what's so frustrating about all this. I mean, it's crazy. You're walking out going like, Jordan, bro, you didn't do anything. Hello. Like, this is this no. Like, and and if you'd ask me, you know, here was my struggle. Okay, I don't know that anything is really going wrong. I don't have any evidence that they're doing something really wrong. Wrong. Okay, it's it's kind of a, I mean. They're not sleeping together and doing that thing. I mean, they're just, they're literally sleeping. Like, I mean, that's all they're doing. They're closing their eyes and not waking up until the morning. You know, I don't really, I don't really know. And he's got a lot of scripture and I don't know if he'll listen to me. And I know it's weird and I know it's awkward, but how do I even confront this? Like that whole situation went on in my, in my spirit, like for so long. And I never addressed it. I mean, I wanted to. I wanted to have this, you know, I don't care who you think you are. I know you're doing something wrong. And it makes you feel weird. It just It's just weird, man. You know, I mean, I'm paying rent to divide half the room and just don't have the nerve. Now, him and his girlfriend just go and get married, and and I'm happy for them. But now it's embarrassing for me to tell that story because I let that go on and never addressed it. Now, maybe they did things, maybe they didn't. But I can tell you for sure, I am personally 100% convinced that their married life is not as enjoyable as it could be if I'd have said, listen, wait on this. I know you're not, I know you may not be doing things, but but seriously, like, like just, I mean, this is a part of marriage. Like, this is a good thing. You know, like, sleeping next to the person that you that you love, like, that's that should be a part of something else. And see, that kind of turned out all right. Like, they didn't, you know, end up, you know, having kids and, and just doing nuts and crazy things. Let me tell you another story that, that, that didn't turn out so well. I had a friend who was a sweet mate while I was in college. And I know you're weird, and you're going to think about me, and you're going to think about these stories and think, what's Jordan doing? Like, what is his life like back in college? But anyway, I was in college we had a dorm and we had called a suite. So there was a bathroom. Okay. One room and one room. And these two rooms with four combined people shared an entire bathroom. Okay. So it was four men to a bathroom, which worked out pretty well because if you were living in another dorm, it was like 14 men to one bathroom. And that just gets gross. So anyway. Okay. So I'm with my roommate who I shared just a great relationship with. He's just a great friend of mine. Now, I, and some of you who've been in college, you know what this is. It's it's like this man love funkness, where like these, where where you have some college guys and they like rub up on each other and they like make you know sexual jokes and but it's all in fun, right? They're not really gay. They're just kind of you know like oh, just man love. Well, I'm just I hate it. Oh, it just it irks me like everything. Well, anyway, one of my friends, one of my sweet mates that lived in the other room. OK, he he was like all about this, you know, like he was totally fine just doing this whole like weird thing. In fact, there was another guy, OK, that liked to like, you know, play around with him like this and, and like, you know, just do this whole thing. I know this is crazy. They actually would like hang out and like sleep in the same bed. But, but here again, but here again, like, I know this is weird, isn't it? And I, and I'm across like, like now, now I want to let you know, me, my roommate and that guy's roommate all had conversations about how weird this was. Like, seriously, like they don't, cause I mean, you know, it, you kind of tolerate the whole like, I love you, man. I mean, like you, you, you kind of tolerate that a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? It's weird. I mean, we kind of tolerate all that, but, like, the big issue, I mean, this was, like, this is, like, far beyond, like, you know, two guys just being affectionate. Like, this is getting pretty queer. Like, this is just strange, and, like, I don't even know what's happening. So, anyway, this thing goes on and on and on, and, you know, and I guess, you know, I'm, like, I don't even have to go in that room because I'm in my own room. And I guess I just, I'm just kind of like, well, you know, at least I don't have to, you know. It just gets weird and weird and weird. And then what I find out is that later, that roommate who was involved in that got involved in some sexual sin that devastated myself and some other people that were a part of our whole friendship. Now, here's what I think so many months and a few years later. What. Could I have saved him from had I talked to him about this? Because it was very clear that there were some sexual problems, some sexual sin that was evident in his life. And I never said anything about it because I thought it was a gray area. I mean, sure, it was just weird, but like I didn't want to share anything about it. I didn't want to be judgmental. And now I look back on this situation that has hurt so many people. And, and, and as much as I try to keep this contained, it would hurt a lot of people, but, but you know, me and my friend try to keep it contained for the sake of saving and, and not hurting others. I think to myself, Jordan, could you have done anything? And the answer is yes, I could have done something. But I didn't. I let two things that I knew was wrong go on just because I was afraid and I didn't want to speak up. As we finish this, this whole thing, I want to let you know this. Yes, Christians need to look in the mirror. Yes, Christians need to make sure that they're judging the right person. Don't judge somebody who's not a Christian. Just don't do it. Don't have a conversation where you say, hey, you're drinking and you're an alcoholic and you're going to hell. Because if you do that, they're just going to be like, you're an idiot. Hand me a beer. like <laughs> You know, just say, I love you, I think this is destructive, but I'm not going to push my religion on you. I love you. But but when you find somebody that's in that faith and you know your motivations are true, don't just stand there. Don't just let them keep doing something that's destructive. All of us know Christians who aren't doing something that they're supposed to be doing. And I'm not asking you to just run down your friend list on Facebook and go, all right, having conversations with all of them. What I'm saying is, allow God to build a burden in your heart, and then when you have that, go to that person and just let them know what's on your heart and what's on your mind for the purpose of getting lost sheep in the fold. Let's pray real quick, and then I'm going to ask Elisa up, and we're going to ask her some questions and get to spend some time with her.